Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Good morning. Okay. Who was here last week? Great. Okay, what was it about? Solomon. And what, what did we learn about Solomon? You have to shout louder. Many wives, yep. He was wise, but not with women. Good summary. Thank you, Davina. There we go. Well, this is where it all goes a bit south. I feel like we had, I mean, we've had David and we've had Solomon. Not all good, but definitely the better end of the nation of Israel. And this is where it all starts to go a bit south. Um, and it starts to go south this morning. I'm going to get into the text in a minute. But we need to pick it up directly from that point that Davinus has made. Not very wise with women. And it says um, in Kings, it talks about the journey of Solomon, about his wisdom. He started off well and eventually he's led astray. And he makes a real mess of it. And actually, God says to him, because of the fact you've just abandoned me, because you've just gone astray, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. Because of David, I'm going to leave you with a little portion of a kingdom, but the majority of it is going to go away. So straight away, we've kind of dropped off a cliff in this, in this story. So it's not a great start. Um, and there's a little bit of context here. So, so God tells Solomon that. Um, and then, you know, we get a little bit more of the story. And then we find out how God's going to do it. Um, and uh, there's a man, Jeroboam, who gets entrusted uh, as, I guess, like a government official. Uh, seems like a really, you know, successful guy, really knows how to run things. And um, he essentially uh, is prophesied over that God is going to, that prophecy that he's given to Solomon is actually going to come to fruition through him, that he is actually going to be the one that takes 10 tribes of Israel and basically starts, you know, or splits the kingdom. Um, and so that's the kind of beginning of this story. And actually, Solomon gets word of this and tries to kill him. So again, it doesn't go so great. So he runs off into hiding. Um, and we're going to start and we're going to pick up this morning in um, 1 Kings 12. And that's where we're going to read together. I didn't say anything about words. So, oh, it will come up. Oh, okay, amazing. Um, so we're going to read it. Um, and then we're kind of going to talk about the story this morning uh, of what happens with one of Solomon's sons, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, that becomes king. And that little bit of context will kind of come into it. So here we go. Let's read it. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. So Solomon died. Solomon died, he passed away. And now Rehoboam, his son, is going to become king. So they're going there to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, this is the man we just heard about, that I said, God said to him, hey, I'm going to use you to take part of this kingdom. And he fled when Solomon was trying to kill him. But now it says, as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebar, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he was hiding from King Solomon. Um, where did I get to? Uh, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt, and they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, your father made, your yoke, made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. And he said to them, go away for three days, and then come again to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, 
while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him, and he took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger, I love this bit, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. What a description. And now, it's a great metaphor. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, and he came to, uh, come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly, and forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, I will discipline you with scorpions. And so the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord, that he might fulfill his word which the Lord spoke by Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. There you go. That's what we're looking at this morning. Um, so, here we go. I've got my notes on the laptop. I don't know if it's going to work super well. I wish I had like, a, you know, like an iPad, but I don't. So, that's the way it's going to work. Um, cool. So, this morning, we're looking at Rehoboam. And I guess the first thing is it's really easy in this situation to just go, ah, I got it all wrong. And just look at the outcome. We're quick to do that as people. We just focus on what happened here. Clearly he got it wrong because the outcome was wrong. Which I think we do a lot of that, right? Leaders, decision makers, get judged. Ah, you got the answer wrong, therefore you're a fool. There may be truth in that. But underlying it, and our, I guess our like heart when we're talking through scripture, is always to look at what's in the heart. That's really important. And we know that the outcome here is God-ordained. It says in the scripture, this turn of events was from the Lord. There was a prophetic truth to this that was going to play out, regardless of what happened. So what we want to look at is what's going on in Rehoboam's heart? How does he act in this? What does that tell us? What, how did he get into this mess in the first place, and what do, we, what do we get out of that? So I think there's two parts to this. One, the first one is, there's a problem partly in who Rehoboam listens to. Okay? Really simple. Because the first thing he does is really important, right? Which is he goes and he seeks counsel. And almost if you're looking at good leaders, it's almost like a massive check mark there. Go and take counsel. That's really wise. And the Proverbs, I could list all of these verses, just again and again say, seek counsel. Really important. Have people around you you can go and ask. When you're in a spot above her, when you've got something that you need help on, go and ask. It says, Proverbs 20, verse 18, prepare plans by consultation. Proverbs 15, 22, without consultation, plans are frustrated. But with many counsellors, they succeed. Good news. Proverbs 19, verse 20, listen well to wise counsel. Be willing to learn from correction. So by the end of your life, you'll, know, you'll be known for your wisdom. Proverbs 11, 14, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counsellors, there is safety. So he gets it right. He does go and ask for help. He got that bit right. Good king. You know, you'd say, well done, you went and asked for help. But there's something that goes wrong here, something that he does, which is he neglects the wisdom of the old people, the old guys that have been around the block and seen 
how things have done. They grew up with, they were in Solomon's council. They'd seen what had happened there. The young guys hadn't. They were new to this. There's something special the Bible calls out about old, righteous men. That's really important to recognise in this. Old men and women who have run the race well have something to offer that's unique to young men and women, even young men and women who are very holy and righteous. Proverbs says, 16 verse 31, grey hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Proverbs 20, 29, the glory of young men is their strength, but the splendour of old men is their grey hair. That's really important. There's something special and unique about old men. And it's not, it's not because it's not just because they are, it's not something like you get older and you get more holy. There's something unique about just having run the race for longer. Just being old. It's like the grey hair is the crown. The age of just having walked with God for longer is part of the beauty of it. And I think that's really important for us to get in our corner of the world because I think we have a bit of a problem with this. And we have words for it, don't we? It's quite, it's quite embarrassing when you really break it down. We probably, some of us have probably used them. Um, but you see them, words like boomers or Karens, right? We know if you're, maybe if you're my age, you will know what that means. It's really disparaging. It basically says, because of your age, and we know there's degrees, you know, there's bits about them that we know, but there's, there's a degree to which just because of their age, we discount them. It's the antithesis of biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom is because they're old, trust them, listen. And our culture says, because they're old, discount, rule them out. And it's not about tropes. It's not just, you know, there is, you know, the Proverbs call out wisdom of young men. You know, they're known for their strength. Old men bring that wisdom. But it's not just about, like, the tropes of it. It's not just, you know, you get stubborn, you know, unrighteous old men. You know, I've, you, know you, you see that around. You say, oh, you're really grumpy. You're really old. It's not just about trumps. I mean, it's not, so it's not, it's not focusing on that. But it is about a respect for just having seen more life. The, Bib the Bible, you know, calls it out. There's something valuable about here. And I think for us, there's something to recognise about. You can really easily fall into a trap of just thinking what's new is best. The latest idea, it must be right. And we, you know, we call it progress, don't we? There's a C.S. Lewis quote. I was reading the, uh, Narnia to the to the boys and um, and girl. Should include that. We were all reading it. And um, there's a there's a bit in uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader where like one of the guys is talking about the slave trade and he's trying to convince them back and forth about, um, you know, we should keep it. You know, it's really helping grow our society. You don't understand it. You know, it's called progress. And uh, Prince Caspian, who's like the you know the king and the leader of the sort of voyage, and he says, oh yeah, we've heard of progress in. Uh, in Narnia, um, I've seen it in an egg. Uh, and it doesn't always mean that it's, it's good, right? Progress in an egg, over time, it goes bad. It's actually smelly and horrible, okay? Just because it's progress doesn't mean it's a good thing. Yeah, it's not a guaranteed thing. There's wisdom in saying, no, actually, stop. Let's listen to what people who have run this race before us have said or what they've got to say. Because, actually, just because it's a new thing, just because young people are saying it, people my age are saying it, doesn't make it automatically better. Rehoboam doesn't really get that. Now, in this case, actually, it's not, you know, he's actually trusting the old wisdom, but it's new people where he falls down. It's young people. That's where he just really gets it wrong. He doesn't listen to them. And that's part of the problem. That's where it goes wrong. 
So that's part one. The problem seems to be that he doesn't listen to the right people. He's foolish. But there's another part to the problem that I think I kind of want to zoom in on a little bit more because I think it's more subtle. And that seems that partly the problem is that you've got a question, does he really want to listen at all? He does listen to the young people. He rejects the old people. But underlying it, is there, in his heart, genuinely, is there a desire to listen at all? And I think it's really important when we read those proverbs, it talks a lot about the counsel that we receive, who, you know, there's a really important part about who we listen to, but with it always comes being able to listen, yeah? It's not just who it is, it's not just the counsellors, it's about listening well. Be willing to learn. A fool is right in his own eyes. There's an awareness that actually it's two ways. It's who you're listening to and are you really listening? There's no point in this case, yet he did the right thing, it looked right, go out and check with people what's going on, but is he really listening to them? And I think this is something that Jesus really picks up on, right? And it comes up a lot where he uses that phrase, whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus really understood that like he was talking to big crowds, but he knew there were people there, they were listening, but they weren't really hearing. They were there for a different reason. I think Tuli, when we were doing that I Am series, I think she covered that really well. We were talking about when he fed the 5,000 and it was like, he was talking about bread and they were there thinking, I'm going to get fed. And actually, that's not what Jesus was talking about. And so he's trying to show them, ah, oh, actually guys, no, you're thinking about one thing, I'm thinking about another. And Jesus even said, you know, he said to his disciples, no, I speak in parables for a reason. He says, those seeing, they do not see, though hearing, they do not hear or understand. He used parables because he was deliberately trying to tease out who is here, part of the crowd, joining in, and who is here listening and really hearing the truth that I'm speaking. Listening is different to hearing. Taking counsel is different to listening to counsel. And I think Rehoboam, in this sense, he takes the counsel, and obviously he's foolish in who he chooses to end up hearing with the, with the young guys, but he has seems to have forgotten a bit about hearing and how that's done well. Because if you think about these young guys that he grew up with, I guess my, my sort of feeling when I, read, when I read that is that, you know, these are young guys, they're part of his group. You know, you have that, right? Like it's like, you know, the echo chamber of people that we can surround ourselves with. And so, you know, we've talked about the dangers of, you know, there can just be foolishness in listening to people that have not run the race. Definitely true. But I think there's also a part of a problem is if you surround yourself by people where you don't really intend to listen to them, then actually what you get back is that like, yes men kind of environment, right? Where I kind of want people around me where I know what they're going to say and it's comfortable because then I don't really need to listen. Yeah? It's like... There's a part of what he does, which is like, I'm listening to the young guys, but they're my guys. I want to hear, I'm listening to them because it's comfortable. I kind of, I'm just going to roll with what they say. They're the ones I know. And we do that, I think. That's a challenge that we face. And Rehoboam doesn't really hear what the people are saying either. So he doesn't really, he's not really listening to the old guys, but he's not really listening to the people either. They come to him. They've got, a, they've got a view, he's heard, he's probably heard, you know, what's gone on with Solomon, his dad, he's seen what's happened there, 
they come to him for counsel, they've pled with him, he's not really listening to them. He doesn't examine it. And we know he doesn't examine it because they say something, the old guys say something, the young guys say something, uh, two of them agree, one doesn't. It's very, very stark, different advice, right? And he just goes with one. There's no re-examination of it at all. He's not really listening. If you, if you really hear something like that, you've got, you know, you've got two friends, they say very different things. I mean, if you just go with one and you not really think, why is that so different? Uh, examine that. Why are you thinking that and this guy's saying that? There's no tossing up of the two. You go, are you really listening? There's a preference. It's like an inbuilt, I would say, he had like an inbuilt preference. He was going to listen to the young guys. He'd made up his mind, potentially, those are the guys I'm going to listen to. It's foolish, really. And so when the other advice comes in, it's like, well, it doesn't matter because I've chosen who I'm going to listen to. And I guess most crucially in all of this is we know he doesn't examine it. and We know that he's not really keen to listen because God doesn't come into it at all. He doesn't seek God. He's got two contrasting positions. And you could say there's a case for both. I'm not saying there was a case for harshness, but how do you lead a kingdom there's a case for both, right? How do I do this? It's a real decision to make. It's not obvious. But he doesn't seek God at all. Now, I think you've got to be careful in the text when it doesn't, you know, it doesn't say, you know, he went and sought God. So you could say he didn't seek God. Well, maybe it just didn't say that. Maybe that wasn't important to the story. It's not recorded. Maybe he did seek God. But I do think it's telling that David, we get a lot of accounts where he seeks God. And it tells us. 1 Samuel 23 says, you know, when, when, Daniel, when David is faced by, like, real decisions about what to do, shall I go up and face the Philistines? So that's what he goes to God. Shall I go and attack these Philistines? 2 Samuel 2, shall I go to any of the cities of Judah? He's, when he's faced with real decisions, he seeks God. 2 Samuel 5, shall I go up against the Philistines? That comes up a lot. Should I go and wage war? God, is this the right thing to do? He seeks God. He inquires of God. He is keen. He's got a listening heart. He makes a choice to go out of his way to say, I need to listen to what God's got to say here. And I think from that, you can reasonably say, Rehoboam is not looking for God's clarity in this. He's, not, he's, he's, he's guilty to some degree of just not taking what human advice is and submitting it to God's will. Ultimately, I think he is enamoured with, I'm the king, I get to make the decision. And I'm going to go with the advice that I get. Actually, he doesn't acknowledge there's a king of kings to submit to and to seek what God's saying. So what's the assessment of what Rehoboam went wrong? He's partly foolish in who he listens to. And I think also he's just partly bad at listening altogether. And I think that's really important, that not listening, because I think it gets to a little bit of what I wanted to just zone in on, which is around... Um, I guess like an unlistening heart. And I think there's a degree of what that unlistening heart is called like stubbornness. So in a worldly sense, it's like a refusal to listen in the face of reason, right? But I think in a spiritual sense, and God picks up on this a lot, it's a stubbornness, it's a stiff-neckedness, it's the inability, it's painful to actually turn and listen to God. You get so bad at listening and wanting to hear what God's saying, that it becomes, it becomes painful to turn from what I want to do, and I'm going to do it this way, or I'm going to listen to these people and listen to what God's saying. 
And God, you know, calls out the nation of Israel all the time. You know, as it starts to go south, God says again and again, you stiff-necked people. And it, calls, it uses the reference of Pharaoh, you know, where God brings the plagues and he just says no, no, no to God all the time. And he becomes the, you know, becomes the sort of archetype for Israel. In that sense, they start modelling themselves after that, where they just do not willfully listen to God. And so for Rehoboam, you know, actually the outcome of that is that, you know, this kingdom disappears. You know, he loses those 10 tribes and they go off um, and they do their own thing. There's something about stubbornness where you've heard the counter argument that you know is compelling or you've heard God's prompt on your conscience and you just persist with what you want to do anyway. But I think it, all, it can also be more, more subtle, more, more passive than that, where we're actually, and I think there's a bit of this in Rehoboam as well, where we don't want to don't don't listen in the first place. It's like pr- before that point where you're like, no, I'm, I've heard that, but I don't want to do it, where you surround yourself with people because it's like a little bubble, right? It's like comfortable, where we say, no, I don't want to seek God on that. I don't want to read that passage because I know God might prompt my conscience. I don't want to have that conversation with that person. I don't want them in my friendship group because they might provoke me on something where I know I've got to change. So I think there's an active way that we do it, but I think there's a more passive, protect yourself kind of way. So where does it lead? What do we need to watch out for? So I think there's two parts to this. One is personally, where does that lead us? So we talked about being stiff-necked. And I think there's a warning here that if we don't, really seek God and allow ourselves to be soft-hearted and changed and in the presence of God, it becomes really painful to turn back to him on stuff. So I think that's a real, it's a big watch out there. Then I think, you know, there's a watch out for just having ears for God without really listening. And that's like the, you just go through the motions. I read a Bible, that's cool. Uh, God, help me with my day. Um... I'm just going to, I've just got to get on with life. And it's joyless, you know? It's just, just going through the motions of things. doesn't affect your heart. It's like, I, I don't really want to hear what God's got to say. So there's a personal warning there. And then I think there's like a, you know, there's a practical outworking that she'll come on to in terms of the church. But I think it manifests itself just in loneliness. And I know this personally because I would say that was my, probably until a few years ago, that was my story, where actually I definitely had got in a trap of not really having really strong opinions about things and not really wanting to be challenged. And I think cutting myself off from deep, meaningful relationships, especially in church, with brothers, because uh, this thing that I think is different to what you think, and it's you know, I'm so set on what I believe and what I think is right that I don't even want to let you in my life and be challenged by it. And it was a massive barrier, I think, to having deep, meaningful relationships until, you know, someone got up in church one day, had a prophecy about, hey, someone really struggling with, like, they don't really believe they can have friendships in the church. And I was like, that's me. Well, actually, Shreya was like, that's you. <laughs> and I tell you, it was amazing. It was am- it's been an amazing journey. Because God has, like, you know, quickly after that, there was some other prophetic stuff around it. And God has put people in my life. I think, where'd that come from? But it was, God had to do something in my heart to humble me 
and to say, no, actually, what you believe, your stubbornness in your heart actually doesn't trump what God wants to do. And then I think those are the personal things. And I think there's a, there's a warning a bit for us as a church. Where does stubbornness as a church lead us? And I think the first bit we heard about, right, in terms of who we listen to. I think if we are stubborn in our hearts, if that sin is lurking amongst us corporately as a church, I think one of the first things to go is listening to that season wisdom because it's so easy to discount. In our culture, it's so easy to discount. And it weakens us as a body. There's biblical wisdom and truth. There's a biblical model for church of eldership, not just in terms of, you know, you're an appointed elder, but elders, older people. And I think it's one of the first things to go because in our culture, it's really easy to dismiss. So if we have that degree of stubbornness of I'm just going to keep things at arm's length because I don't really want to be challenged because I like the comfort of the way I think about things. I think that's one of the first things to go. And we will see it play out in actually we've got a disconnect from young to old. And as a young person, I'll say, well, we're going to be in trouble because there's biblical wisdom we're neglecting, which is so foolish. And there's a question then, who are we looking to? If you, are, if you say, oh, I'm a young person, who are you looking to in the church? Who do you seek counsel from? Are you, is there a submission in your heart where you say, yep, these people might have a, a different way of looking at life because of the years they've run, but I want to I listen to that. Do you put yourself in that environment? I think the other consequence, so I think eldership, listening to elders, but I think the other consequence is just a lack of depth in our relationships with our peers. I don't, there wasn't any challenge in Rehoboam's relationships, right? The young guys. And I think the wisdom there is, you know, in Proverbs 20, 27 verse 6, it says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. If we are surrounding ourselves by people because we've got a set heart, because we've chosen a path, we're going to just have weak relationships. We're going to have weak friendships where we don't challenge each other in love, but with truth. In your running partners, you know, that's where we talk about, you know, those ones and twos where we gather and we really get to the meat of things in our one-to-one -one time with people. You know, are you really challenging one another? Do you feel loved enough that you can challenge someone? That's a real important question because that's what's going to bring out that, like, hey, I'm going to challenge this person to really listen and not be stubborn. So how do we overcome it? How do we overcome all of that? And I think... What we have is an amazing saviour that we can trust and look to who's given us a different model to Rehoboam. Thank God. <laughs> Rehoboam didn't seek God's will. He didn't really want to listen to others outside of the history, what his dad's done, and his friendships that he knew. How do we avoid that in the church? It says in Ephesians 5.19, it says, submitting, this is how we should do it, submitting yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the antidote to stubborn hearts is submission. Submit yourself to one another in the church. That's what we should do. And it's not because they're brilliant. It's not because they're great people. The answer isn't, you know, that's, that's not what it says. It says out of reverence for Christ. It's because God has, Christ Jesus has done something that sets us an example. Jesus gave up his place in heaven to make himself, it says, to make himself lower than the angels. He took on flesh and he subjected himself to death all in obedience to the Father's will. It's the opposite of stubbornness. It's beautiful submission. 
the root of stubbornness for Rehoboam, unwillingness to actually submit himself to others, especially those who were not like him and that he thought of as beneath him. He was the king. Second thing, the need to hold on to his power and his position, his promise, his God-ordained kingdom, his inheritance as a king. So I'm going to do it my way. But unlike Rehoboam, we have Jesus the king. Jesus doesn't count his superiority to humanity as a reason to do it his way. He lays down his life to sort out our sinful mess. It's not our, not his problem, but he doesn't count his superiority to us. Jesus doesn't hold on to his position as a reason to do it his way. He submits himself willingly to the Father and he trusts that he'll be exalted for his humility. So our model is Jesus. Always is, right? But that's the challenge. You know, where we have that, there's that temptation of stubbornness lurking in our heart. We've got to look to Jesus. We've got to submit ourselves because when we look at Jesus, we see what beautiful submission looks like and we think, wow, that's a better way. That is a better way for us to do it. So I think we're going to just respond. And I think there's probably, there may be personal submission and we just need to stand before God and just say, sorry, God. And examine our hearts and say, God, is there stubbornness lurking in here? Are my ears really open to listening? Am I really going to hear what you've got to say? And not to get too like technical, I'm not a doctor, um, but you know, when I've had like a stiff neck, I'll call or Shrey will call her dad and tell me what I should do because he's a he's a doctor. And um, there are two things, right? It's warmth, apply heat, and take you know ibuprofen to relax the muscles. That's the starter. And then what does that allow you to do? It allows you to start start moving your neck. So I love that description of stiff neck because it really gets to the point of why, why it's painful. But I just, I felt like there's, it's such a great picture and it's a reminder that when we come into the presence of God, I, there's warmth and there's healing. Yeah, straight away. The Holy Spirit just in, his pr- in God's presence, it's like, oh wow, that immediate pain is lifted. And then there's a command to start moving your neck. Because otherwise, you leave the presence of God, you go about your day and the stiff, it will set back in. The key is to use that time to go, I'm going to lean into this. I'm really going to start moving this. It's like examine our hearts this morning or this afternoon even. And say, God, I've got to change on this. And then it's to step in and say, now I've got to step out of change. I've got to say sorry to that person because I really dismiss them. Or I need to get amongst these sorts of people because I know I've been avoiding those conversations because I don't want to be challenged. We've got to step into actually exercising it so we don't get that. Stiff neck, seize up again. Shall we stand and pray?